sati sampachanya, the here and now being aware. So this word sati is uh, the clue. It's it's remembering here and now, reminding yourself. I'm just uh, this, just using the word pachubhanatama or here and now, <coughs> the dhamma of now, pachubhana is now. Now this uh, simple enough, <coughs> but in uh, Man's curiosity searches the past and present and clings to that dimension. But the point of intersection of the timeless with time, and say, this is, this is sati. So remember, all memories are about the past. Memory I mean, sati, even the word sati is a memory, but it's using memory as a guide rather than uh, from the personal level of I did this, I did that, that happened to me in the past. So it's like learning to use our ability to remember, not from sakaditi anymore about what I did in the past or my life and things that I remember from my past, but the, the Samana life, this is a, Samana is not a person anymore, it's not about becoming, but being that pure presence here and now, which has no quality, it isn't like you, you know, it's not like a worldly attainment. Or it's not uh, doesn't doesn't uh, create this sense of me and mine individuality. So so sati sampachanya sati panya these words these magic words reminder. So when I do this then uh, developing this uh, practice around the sound of silence because. Over the years, this, this is what happens, just here and now, Dhamma. And then the, just the awareness around this resonating background vibration. Now I can create myself uh, as someone who uses the sound of silence or things like this. <laughs> you know, like I can create the you know a self image around this these kind of words, but that's not you know it's not sati sampachanya. So we can create ourselves in, you know, we're, we're so used to, to, uh, sanya, sankara, 
as our identity, you know, that we, we are totally committed to the sense of me and mine. And so uh, unquestioned, <clears throat> operating always from my practice, my sound of silence, my mindfulness, my position, my view, And then it's, uh, this is the world, this is the samsara. And then as soon as you create yourself, or just habitually get in, uh, entwined, stuck into the self-view, operate from the self-view, <clears throat> then that the result will always be separation of some kind, a feeling of loneliness, of alienation or fear, or you know these uh this the separate sense of a self is makes me feel very vulnerable because I am on a personal level, you know if I'm this body, this is me, and this is my my emotional world, and then it's always it can be attacked, it can be harmed, it can be. Uh, abused uh, by so many possibilities, you know, that you can, before they even happen, you could imagine almost anything. So in the in the five khandhas, the rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana practice, this is, this is for reflection, like rupa, the body. Now that is, <clears throat> did you create your body as a person or did it just happen? You know, the body was born before I had a personality. I wasn't born with a personality. <clears throat> with any identity, but the physical body was born and it's conscious. So there's a vijnana and rupa, you know, these are natural conditions. They're not, uh, you know, we, we don't create them out of ignorance. They, they arise and cease according to other conditions, following the law of karma, the laws of nature. But then, when we identify with the body, that we learn after we're born. So then uh, you, you start, <coughs> your mother, <coughs> father, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, <laughs> the whole society starts conditioning you. And you know, uh, so you create this sense of, of, I'm this, this physical form. I'm a baby, I'm a child, I'm a boy or a girl. And these are, these are perceptions that we acquire. So by never investigating the five khandhas, always operating from the five khandhas, from Sakya Ditti, then the result is dukkha.
suffering because it is we're 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 creating this sense of you know to when you're a child you know if you're loved or you're not loved or you're maybe parents like one child better than another or they wanted a boy when they instead of a girl or uh you know your mother is uh, uh, dies when you're a baby and you're brought up by stepmother and there's all kinds of other you know conditioning processes and identities that take place and we form a sense of our self-worth and accordingly and so we're bound you know we, we when we're young, we're just kind of helpless. We get whatever is uh, happening. You know, whatever is going on, that's, we absorb that. <clears throat> so there's always these problems about me and my problems, my myself as a person, the sense of loneliness, isolation, separateness. Then coming from Western society where the self is, uh, you know, at least in a country like Thailand, they do have Buddhism as a basis. So the anatta teaching is, you know, whether every Thai Buddhist understands that there isn't any insight into it is something else but it, as a cultural basis they, they have that you know anatta non-self but we don't have that in western society it's all about the self you know it's about me competitive uh, social way of learning uh, position in society And so it's, uh, the self is, is, is all we have really to live with, is me as a person. Now that might, that, you know, if one has a religious belief, like believing in God, or, you know, something like that, that helps. At least it, you have uh, a sense of something beyond yourself. But even God can be another form of parental judgment, you know. The old man up in the sky, the patriarchal uh, uh, judge, you know, that, you know, how we create that, that idea, that vision of God is very conditioned. So it's also a form of Sakaya Ditti. So in uh, Buddhist practice, notice that there's, there's not a concept of God. So it's not, it, it has no, you know, it's not conceived or formed. You can't, there's no uh, quality. The unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, it's it has no quality, does it? But on an intellectual level, it sounds like nothing. Like it's a, the, remember the intellect, the thinking mind is dualistic. So it, all it can do is either affirm or deny. You're caught in that, that structure. I believe in God or I don't believe in God. Or 
You can be like agnostic, maybe, I don't know, possibility. All these are ways of the Sakyaditi creating the sense of I'm a believer, I'm an atheist or an agnostic. And then with Sati Sampachanya, is, is, uh, rather than asking you to believe in anything, to affirm or deny, but to awaken and recognize. So this is like Pachubhanatamma, here and now. This is the way it is. Right now there's this. Sound of silence. Now that I've cultivated, but if if you don't notice that, or you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, be aware of that, of, of, of doubt, of confusion. Or bring attention to the obvious, like the posture or the breath. So like with samatha <coughs> practices, samatha vipassana, samatha is developing the concentration in which you start with vidaka vichara or thinking of some sort, creating an image, having an, a kasina or an object to focus on. It can be anapanasati, the breath. It can be the concept of loving kindness or candle flame, or anything that that you can that has a shape and a form. Vidaka vichara. And then uh, that's the first jhana. And then seeing the the suffering of being caught in Vidaka vichara, you, you, you which brings piti sukha, you let go of that. So in fourth jhana, then there is upeka or equanimity. So this is starting from, say, an object, from samatha, and and going through the, what they call the jhana, the jhana factors, vidakavichara, piti, sukha, ekagata. So vidakavichara is the object, the result is piti or rapture, sukha, mental, joy, which leads to upeka or equanimity. And then the arupa jhanas, space, consciousness, nothing, space, consciousness, nothingness, and neither perception nor non-perception. Now the problem I had with this way of teaching was the Sakyaditi was so strong in me, the sense of me as a person was so powerful that my attempt to get jhanas was, uh, you know, coming from this Sakyaditi, not from faith in Buddha Dhamma Sangha even, but just me, Sumato, trying to get first jhana. The Arupa jhana seemed so refined that I didn't even think about them. You know, that was just, neither perception or non-perception, try to 
perceive. Try to perceive neither perception nor non-perception. <laughs> I can't do it. You know, it's just your your thinking mind packs up. You just get you get confused. I fumble around with different views or opinions. But if it's neither perception or non-perception, it's inconceivable. Now, the, the, the Sakyaditi is, because uh, in, you know, this was, this was what I had to really get perspective on. <clears throat> the sense of myself and my ability to meditate or whether I'm a good meditator or not. And, uh, you know, trying to, to get, live up to what the teacher was teaching. So you'd have, you know, and as a lay person, what I'm taught, you'd have interviews, and you'd end up trying to say things to please the teacher, or what you think the teacher wanted to hear. Because the Sakyaditi was, you didn't, you know, you didn't even know what you were doing. You were just kind of doing what you heard the teacher, how you interpreted what the teacher was saying. But if Sakyaditi is is uh, never recognized, then even the best intentions are motivated by that delusion, and so the result is always suffering. So that's why the more the this. Uh, when I went, uh, when I took the Samanera ordination and spent that year in uh, <clears throat> this uh, monastery in Nongkai, and had the, I took that word of the Buddha, just that one I usually give to to the uh, newly ordained, <clears throat> and uh, that's all I had was that one book. Not very, you know, manageable size. I couldn't afford to get the whole Tripitaka. But just by spending a year contemplating and suddenly getting insight into these Four Noble Truths, because that's what that for no, uh, Word of the Buddha is, uh, you know, it, it deals with this, this uh, essential teaching of the Buddha. And so, like, learning to just uh, contemplate, to open to suffering, to, you know, how do you can, I could easily understand the, the meaning of suffering, of dukkha, as an intellectual thing, so, such a basic kind of human experience. But then, Putting it into, unto, it should be understood. And I think, well, I understand the word. Yeah, sure, everybody suffers. Everybody knows that <coughs> kind of. But that wasn't the answer, isn't it? It's not, it's not my opinion about suffering or because I, I know what the word means. But it's observing. Now, when you're alone like that for a year, 
you know, you, at the beginning, there was a lot of suffering. Because I'd never done that before. So I put myself into this position. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I didn't have anyone to talk to. There's nobody could speak English. So I was just with this one little book. And uh, nothing else to do. Now, I didn't have a laptop or an iPod or a radio or even a novel or any kind of this, you know, other than, than this one book. So, I mean, I, I deliberately put myself in that position. And it's not a very thick book. It's like a pamphlet, really, but it, it has the essential teachings from the suttas. <clears throat> and so, but it's not some, uh, you know, at least it was a compilation in a, in a, in a simple way of the very essential teachings from the scripture. But then it wasn't like a lot of commentarial explanations of others. I had to actually do it, you know, suffering, it causes the cessation and the path. And so this was, you know, kind of like jumping into the deep end uh, before you know how to swim, you either drown or learn how to swim. <laughs> Well then, you know, of course, you're alone in a foreign country. It wasn't, it was just a very primitive kuti. You know, no electricity, no mosquito screens. Uh, kind of just wooden planks nailed onto posts, tin roof. And, uh, and I had a, a toilet hole in the floor kind of thing and a rain barrel catch the rain <laughs> there's no running water so I mean this was living uh, you know in a way that I'd never had to live before uh, you know coming from a nice uh, city like Seattle where you, you take uh, all the uh, electricity, running water, all that for granted. And so you, it's kind of, you know, your emotions react to it. <clears throat> now in that, because of the intense suffering at first, then uh, then this first noble truth began, to, I just began to, to uh, rather than try to get samatha, well, at first I just tried to resist the suffering by doing a lot of concentration. So I'd, you know, kind of force my mind to concentrate. And then I could only, after a while I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't just use my willpower coming from Sakyadiji to make my mind stick on the object. Because there was so much, because being in that situation there's so much unresolved uh, emotions that were coming up in the consciousness.
30, I was 32, 32 years old at the time. So there was 32 years of unresolved emotional habits uh, that I couldn't, you know, I, I tried to control them through concentrating the mind on the breath. But the, uh, I couldn't, you know, after a while, I just, to spend the whole day and night doing that, just from the Sakya Ditti level of me, trying to get jhanas, was totally frustrating and exasperating. You know, you just, you know, you go into very negative states of despair. So then in, uh, when it comes to vipassana, you know, then you, you, and the Four Noble Truths, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, then you're starting from the here and now, you know, whatever way it manifests. And so this is, uh, I found this approach, you know, suitable to me because at least I could do this. I couldn't get the jhanas, but I could be aware of what I was feeling in the present. So the, one had to bear with uh, all the fears, conceits, doubts, uh, repressed anger, repressed resentments, self-hatred, and then it would be, you know, criticisms and and paranoia. I'd get paranoid. I'd go into states of paranoia where I'd think there were all kinds of evil forces around me. I'd start thinking the monks in the temple and the the nuns were out to get me. Going into kind of madness of uh, proliferating negativity. But through that determination to, you know, I found out because I couldn't control it, I just had to bear with it. So I, I, I just managed to sit and bear with whatever came into consciousness. listening to it. And as I, you know, as I gave up trying to control it out of Sakyaditi, there was a kind of resignation, you know, kind of giving up of my, of this sense of I've got to control, I've got to get something, I've got to get rid of these kilesas, I've got to conquer the kilesas, and get the jhanas and things like this. When I gave up coming from that assumption, just more or less resigned myself to being there, then, uh, then I found that Four Noble Truth teaching really skillful way of <clears throat> examining the here and now. So, 
this is, uh, it's like, I don't know if many people can do that. Because I watched, uh, you know, the, it was a meditation monastery in a forest outside of Nongkai, the town of Nongkai. And uh, they bring in monks to do these, uh, what they call, Kao Hong retreats, where you, you go into a kuti and you stay there and they bring you, they bring you the food. And you, you do this, uh, uh, Burmese type Mahasi Sayadaw meditation. And while I was there, I watched, you know, so many monks come and give up after a few days. They just can't take it. Because it is, uh, you know, it's, it's the deep end. And one wasn't, you know, I wasn't a prisoner. Just talk, talking to John McCarthy, I wasn't kind of incarcerated in a prison like he was. You know, I could have left any time. Not that, that, uh, Anybody was forcing me, uh, tying me down or, you know, binding me to the kuti. But something in me was so determined, you know, that sense of, you know, kind of sense beyond the sense. What, I don't even know what it was that, that compelled me to stay there. You know, when I could have easily left. But this is what, you know, it's like this uh, something in me, something I can't explain, something that's not my personality beyond this uh, Sakya Ditti level that knew what to do, and even though on a personal level I was all over the place. So that's why, the, you know, coming from my own experience, which I, you know, my intention is to share it, not to say you should do, do what I do. But uh, it is about human individual that, uh, you know, and, and how, how I actually dealt with uh, <coughs> suffering. And uh, the 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 sakya ditti, the this this sense of me as a separate personality, me in this human body. Now, after a while, through just giving up and just paying attention, you know, you're in a state, so you can't. You, you know, you're, you're, you've, you're, I had the, uh, Thamanera Ten Precepts. So there was a level of commitment to, to moral behavior and restraint within that, you know, that structure. But, you know, they, so on, in terms of action and speech, I tried to, you know, limit myself to, there was nothing else to do, nowhere to go, nobody to talk to, no kind of distraction other than, you know, the 
natural conditions around. So I'd get fascinated by, there were the, the dogs. Every Thai monastery has a lot of dogs in it. So, uh, because Thai people don't like to kill animals, so when their dogs have puppies, they dump them inside the monasteries. So, you, you know, in some monasteries, it's overrun by dogs. Well, when there's nothing to do all day long, all night long, you take interest in anything. <laughs> so I just observed the dogs. You know, I began to observe how they acted, and and um, then I'd sympathize, and I'd see some dogs I didn't like at all, and other dogs that were, you know, pathetic, wretched creatures. And of course, you know, take sides with the underdog. And then there's a top dog in a monastery, the, 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 the boss that bullies and controls all the other dogs. And then, uh, of course, I hated him. And <laughs> all my sympathy went to the underdogs. But then in this process, observing this, you know, how this is nature, isn't it? When we don't, when we're not mindful, we, we end up like that. You know, survival of the fittest. Because as individual entities, as animals, as separate entities, then it is a matter of learning to survive. You know, if you're tough and strong, then you have more chance of survival than if you're weak in the jungle. So in that, that's, uh, so before I just seen dogs as pets, you know, uh, little pets that you had, pet poodles and Pekingese puppies that were cute and cuddly, or big Labradors that slobbered all over you. But not as, as a society of dogs that were feral, that didn't belong to anybody, but just doing their dog thing without any owner, any human influence. Except, you know, they'd be fed. The monks would feed them leftover food. So, and I thought, that's not much different. That's like being in, in you know, top dog and the underdog. This is why my experience in the Navy. This is what military life was like. <laughs> you know, you learn how to survive by, uh, you know, ways that, you know, you develop habits of survival, you know, a way of dealing with these different conditions for survival, for the surviving purposes. So then the fear and, you know, the, the sense of sakyaditi always is this, uh, causes this sense of fear, personal danger, personal vulnerability. Even in a safe place, you know, because physically maybe, you know, we can uh, be moral, we determine not to kill or harm each other physically, mentally, uh, verbally, we can be very abusive. 
hurt our feelings, hurt my feelings. Or from Sakyaditi level, I can be so needy of somebody else's approval that, you know, if they don't speak to me, then I've, they could, I, could, I could easily feel hurt the whole day or for days after. You know, there's a sense of that for me to feel okay about myself, I needed confirmation from outside. I needed mother and father. I needed friends. I needed teachers or those above me to say, you're all right, you know, we love you still. And then, and if I didn't get that, information, then I'd be thrown off. I'd be frightened or confused. So the personality is very dependent, you know, conditioned on, on how, you know, our own karma of how the things that affected us, you know, the way we grew up, the conditions that that we uh, experience from birth affects us, how we see ourselves, how we create ourselves, what we expect or dread or fear, how we learn to survive in the family with the mothers and fathers that we have, how we learn to survive in school or in social situations through, you know, through various techniques of doing the best with what you have. You know, one thing about being tall is that, uh, you know, I found that I didn't, uh, you know, like, I was always the tallest one in the class, even uh, in primary school. So I was always at the end of the line, you know, and you're marching, we had these kind of parades and that, and I was always placed at the very end, and I thought, oh, it would be nice to be short and be at the front. <laughs> So I don't, I think I've always been at the end, you know, taking it personally. Almost seemed like the ones that really, you know, were important ones were the ones in front because they were, but it was all arranged according to size. So what's the logic in that, you know, to be short is, is means you, you get the front seat. To be tall, you're stuck in the back. And then as uh, reaching adolescence, then, then I found out being tall was an asset. Then actually, girls liked tall boys more than short ones. <laughs> so you suddenly find yourself seen in a different way, you know, feeling, I'm tall. And... Uh, Girls at that age, 13, 14 years old, were seemed to be more attracted to someone taller than themselves than, the sh than someone shorter. Well, this is just about physical heights, isn't it? How we form a sense of ourself, our desirability, or our, you know, place in in the structure, according to height. or according to gender, being male or female, according to whether we're fat or thin, like fat is always made fun of, isn't it? So if you're fat, 
you're 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 uh, abused a lot in your in your when you're a child. <clears throat> you're made fun of, and uh, boys and girls, fat boys, fat girls, <laughs> and so. <laughs> And they have a sense of our self-worth according to either we're fat or thin or complexion, fair or dark or blonde or brunette. And the, the whole sense of Sakyaditi's form through all these kind of experiences. And as a child, we're innocent, you know, so we don't know any better. We're just learning how to survive in the society we find ourselves in. Well, then in Pachubana Dhamma, these are, you know, the karma, say, Vipaka karma, they arise in the present. So you, you have, uh, you, you know, you, you can't make yourself into, you know, the perfect physical image or the ideal person. But you can, you learn how to maybe be more charming, more witty. If you're very pretty and thing, you can get by on just being uh, visually attractive. But if you're not that pretty, then you've got to develop other means, you know, to be more interesting or more something <laughs> And so the personality evolves from experience. Now, in the Sangha life, you know, the, the whole idea of the Samana is, is uh, you know, shaving the head and putting on the robe, which is uh, a way of reminding ourselves we're not here in, 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 to use those kind of, uh, we don't have to survive that way anymore through being attractive or charming or whatever. Not, this isn't the point of this life. And yet, if we never uh, see Sakyaditi and how it affects us, then, then this life becomes another form of Sakyaditi. The, sen the structure, the, the seniority, the hierarchical structure. Becomes a Sakyaditi for us. Or the ideals, you know, like the, <coughs> the Samana. During these morning reflections, what is a Samana? Is it somebody, a personality, uh, who's really given up everything, you know? Uh, and uh, is it about me having to give up everything and be selfless? Or is it reflecting on the results of self, of how, I, you know, I can cre create myself as a samana. I can attach to the ideal of a samana, of an alms mendicant. And so I've got the idea and I attach to it and then try to act like a samana, It's still Sakyaditi, isn't it? It's still, it's, it's still, you're still going to suffer no matter how hard you try to, 
to be saintly or good or the ideal samana. Until you actually insightfully see the, the cause of suffering. And uh, so Sakya Ditti is the, the self-view, the separate self-view, whether, you know, in, in monastic life you can become very lonely in this life, even though we live together in community. So a few years ago everybody was trying to be Kalyanamitas. This was the this was the word in everybody's mind here. To be really good friends with each other. To get to know each other. To learn to listen. Uh, Nonviolent communication. Caring for each other. Being here for each other. Uh, being, you know, a Kalyanamita is a, is a beautiful friend. And so this idea of trying to become Kalyanamita to each other seemed to be the, you know, the flavor of, the, of that year. <clears throat> well, that's very good. That's ideal, you know, and it's not to disparage it. But is it, if it's still coming from Sakya Ditti, what does it do? listening to each other from the Sakya Ditti level, from the personal, from the, you know, trying to, to fit into this ideal of Kalyanamita. What's the result? And so then there's still suffering. Nobody can... You know, to ask somebody else to be there for me and be my friend and listen to me and care about me is, you know, asking too much of anybody. You know, so then, you know, we felt betrayed by friends or Kalyanamitas we've had who've, who've, we felt betrayed by them because when we really needed them, they weren't there deserted. And then this goes back into Sakyaditi again. So I'd hear this word betrayed a lot. It's a way, an accusation of being betrayed by your best friend or someone you trusted, your best friend, your Kalyanamita, betrayed you. And so then this is the result of wanting somebody else to make you feel good, to to make you feel secure by always being there to support you, being here for me and through my trials and tribulations. Special friend, maybe, or best friend. When I was a little boy, we always had best friend. He's my best friend. And so that when you had another little friend that you, <clears throat> you know, you had, you really related to in a personal way, as you liked this boy better than the rest. Best friend. But in, now in Sati Sampatanya, it's, uh, you know, it's not, this is not criticizing this. 
It's not it's not judging Sakaya Ditti at all, but it's recognizing it. And so it's not about Sakyaditi is bad or you've got to get rid of self-view, but to be able to see self-view as an object. Now how do you do that? How can you see self-view, Sakyaditi, as an object? If, if your self-view is all you know, then you're always living this life with a sense of self. <clears throat> so it doesn't work. You know, it's not going to free you and liberate you just by putting on the robe, shaving the head, putting on the robe. Because that, that's not the even, you know, clothes are not the issue. But it's about this awakening, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, Pachubhanadhamma, to be able to reflect on the way it is. Uh, in, uh, with sati then, it, that's why I keep saying if if I'm trying to be mindful, me, Ajahn Sumedho, tr trying to be mindful, then, you know, it's coming from Sakyaditi. I'm coming from the idea that I'm not mindful and I've got to develop mindfulness. So when we, you hear people saying, well, I'm trying to be more mindful. And, uh, and that is kind of, you, you, again, this, you know, this is, it's not the way. It's not about trying. It's about being. There's a difference, isn't it? I've got an idea of what mindfulness is and then I try to do it. Or being mindful. Pachubana in the here and now. So if I'm if I've got this idea that I'm I'm not mindful enough and I've got to develop mindfulness, I begin to notice that. That, that I create this sense of I'm I'm not very mindful, and I should be. It's like this. This is a sense of me. There's something wrong with me, you know, because you know I should be mindful, and I'm, and and then I I do things that obviously mean that I'm not mindful. So I've got to try to become more mindful. Now this is a, you know, this is the the sakya ditti that we can observe. No matter how true it might be, maybe it is true. You know, is, is anyone's personality mindful? Can you be really mindful from Sakyaditi level, from being this person, being me and mine? We can, we can convince ourselves that I'm more mindful than you are, or I'm, you know, I can, or I'm less. But the the Pachubanantama means that this this whole this sense of I'm got to become mindful. Is it wrong to think that I shouldn't think that? 
I should just be mindful, is still sakyaditi. So it's a, not a not a matter of of thinking about it or or believing in anything you're thinking or the sense of self, but observing it. So it's this sati panya level, which is always here and now. You know, you can't trying to be mindful t- uh, tomorrow. <clears throat> tomorrow I'll practice mindfulness. <laughs> is a you know, you, if you believe these kind of thoughts, then you, then you're always, you know, somebody who's not mindful enough trying to become more mindful. When all you need to do is really be aware of that, not from the judging level. It's not judging. I shouldn't have an ego, or the fact that I try to be mindful is wrong. It is the way it is. You know, I'm trying to develop mindfulness. Once I observe that, there's an an observing of this thinking. So that I call the Buddha, the Bhutto, the aware, the observer, knower of the world. So it's coming from Jnana knowing rather than me knowing all about the Dhamma from having read all the scriptures. So when I began, when I first had this insight, then I, well, just play the scenario of me and mine and listen to it. You know, just listen to to your to the fears and the emotions, the loneliness, the angst, the the uh, confusion, but also in the sense of listening, being the listener, not the you know, not the the one, not the object that I'm listening to. So I had this kind of perception of like watching television or uh, melodramas or listening to the neighbors. Uh, you know, gossiping on the other side of the fence. They go, na na na, blah 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 blah, and listening to to whatever is in my mind. And uh, you know, really listening, not for judging, but for observing. Is this this which is aware? Is not that? Is not that person? is not that feeling, the sense that I am, I'm not very mindful and I should be more mindful. This awareness is not that. It's not this person that believes they're not mindful enough. And then, you know, when Sakyaditi takes over, then I can convince myself I've got to be more mindful. So in, you know, in community life, and make a mistake or say something I shouldn't or blunder, blow it in some way or another in the community. Then the, then the inner tyrant will say, you should be more mindful. You shouldn't have, uh, you know, you've really lost your mindfulness and, and uh, by blowing up at somebody. Or maybe not as heavy as that, just saying something slightly off or inappropriate or insensitive. Then this sense of you shouldn't 
So there's this this inner judge. This is the, like the thinking mind's very judgmental. It knows everything about how you should be and shouldn't be. It grabs all the ideals and and you know the best. A good monk, a good nun should be, and you were not very good today. So you're not a very good monk, not a very good nun, because you were not very mindful. That's that's still sakyaditi. That that uh, judgmental force in one that knows it all, knows what's right and wrong, and and absolutely, you know, condemning when you make a mistake or when I make a mistake or do something inappropriate or say something or even think something. It's right there ready to to say, bad boy. But that which is aware, you see, is not judgmental. It's not about you being good or bad or me being good or bad. It's aware of that sense of being good or bad. And that awareness then is not, is not sakyaditi. Because you don't, you know, it's not about me uh, getting rid of sakyaditi. It's about the ability to observe sakyaditi. So this is like refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Buddha, Bhutto. Pure conscious knowing from this position, from this point of consciousness, the human bodies that we have. It's from this little spark in the universe, this human form that we identify with and limit ourselves to all the time through ignorance. You know, that's why we suffer, because we're, we're binding ourselves to such unsatisfactory conditions all the time. Like being tied up all the time in the limitations of identity with your physical body or your emotions or your views and opinions, your memories, your habits. <clears throat> and the liberation then comes not through committing suicide, cutting your throat or, or suppressing your feelings, but in awakening to them. So that's like the five khandhas, being awake, aware, of these conditions, of these five heaps, or these five categories, that is, that are merely expedient way of looking at conditioned phenomena. Not personal, not about my five khandhas. So, and then, from that, then the, then the, uh, Sakyaditi Silavata Baramasa Wichikija, the first three fetters. So Wichikija is translated as doubt, and and doubt is uh, the result of being attached to thinking. You know, so as long as you, as long as you attach and try to think your way in Buddhism to think about yourself and the Sangha and Buddhism and Theravada Buddhism and and all the rest. As long as you're caught in that thinking about it, you're always going to, it will 
really reinforced uh, Sakya Ditti and which he teaches Ilabhata Bharamasa. Because the thinking process is dualistic. It's not whole. It's a, it's a, it, it, you know, it has its limits. You can only think so far and then the thoughts stop. The non-plus mind, where suddenly your mind goes blank. And so, in, uh, you know, being able to recognize when the thinking process stops, when you can't just rattle on endlessly in your thoughts and ideas and conceptual proliferations, but where that suddenly packs up. So it's usually like a shock, isn't it? Where you're shocked and suddenly your mind goes blank, nothing comes. Or in uh, like the koan in the Zen Buddhism, the kind of conundrum that has no answer to it. It's a totally impossible uh, question. What is the sound of the clap of one hand? Or what was my original face before I was born? That kind of thing. And then, you know, you ask these questions and what happens when you are these koans, you know, you try to think about them, try to figure them out with your intellect. You, you can, you know, you can really wind yourself up uh, with your thinking process or to be aware of that where the, where the thinking process stops, packs up, doesn't operate at the moment. Now, sound of silence is that way for me. It stops the thinking process. So I can, you know, notice this sound of silence. And all the, 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 the proliferating tendencies stop at that moment. It's like a, like a poise on the edge, on the razor's edge on the tightrope, you're suddenly just caught in this moment of being nonplussed, of being poised. Before anything happens, there's awareness. Now, the sound of silence, once recognized, then it, it is a, like a stream. So you, you begin to notice it. And sustain interest in it or attention on it. Because it is, and it's not, you don't create it, and it's not, it's not, you know, it's always present here and now no matter what state of mind you're in. So it's like, like a referral, remembering. And, the, and then the, the, the thinking, you know, the proliferating thought habits cease at that moment. 
and then sustaining it in this kind of empty silence, this poised, empty state of awareness. So it's like you're suspended in this poised state of just attentiveness. And we appreciate this. Now this is uh, cultivating this. is real power now, because then it, you know, that is what they call stream entry. You are, from there on, know how to practice, know how to cultivate with the body and the remaining karma that you have, whatever that might be. And, but you can never uh, be liberated through Sakya Ditti, Sila Bhattra Bharamasa Vichikicha. Because they, as long as those are, you know, dominant in your consciousness, that's where you operate from, then you're, you're, you're just a creature of habits then. Even the monastic life becomes a form of self-view becomes an identity, becomes Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikicha. So you see here people who have been monks or nuns for years and, they, they have that, and they're kind of disappointed because they haven't got what they were expecting from it. You know, maybe you're expecting something when you become a monk or a nun. You kind of hope to get enlightened or you, you're looking forward to something, to, to developing or getting something in that you, you aspire to. <clears throat> and then after years, if, if, these, if these three fetters are not recognized, after years of dedicated practice, you're still, you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to get what you expect from the Sakya Ditti level going to be a dismal disappointment. So, uh, so that's why emphasizing this, these fetters is to, is to keep reminding you of this is the problem. Not the tradition, not the structure not hierarchy, not uh, uh, vinaya or anything like that. These are these are not obstructions. It's how we grasp these conditions out of habit, out of ignorance. This is these are the fetters that bind us to the sangsara and uh, swarm like worms within our living clay. So, you know, this is, see that this, this opportunity, what I'm pointing at, is, uh, is liberation. I'm not trying to tell you how you should be, or try to you know, control you through uh, through hierarchical positioning, 
or through personal preference. It's not about personal liking or disliking, preferring one over another. It's about awakenness here and now and uh, and to keep encouraging you because it is sad to see people after so many years of dedicated monastic life being so miserable you know it's uh, when when one has tried to present as best one possibly can the the liberated liberation that comes through awareness Now, looking back on my own life as a monk, you know, I'm really grateful. This has been a, you know, sometimes I just feel incredible gratitude uh, of having an opportunity to live like this. It's not a part of my cultural expectation or anything. You know, it just happened. Conditions came together where I found myself where I could... uh, came across Buddhism and then the opportunity to become a, a monk. And so these things are just, it weren't like I went out on a spiritual journey to seek them. It just seemed like things would come my way or suddenly and I just uh, seized the opportunity. But the result is a sense of great, of gratitude and real respect for the Buddha for the teaching of the Buddha, the power of that teaching, the precision of it, the clarity of it. But the teaching is not about grasping the ideas of Buddhism, but, you know, using them, bhati-bhata, practice, for the result of bhati-wait, which is the insight, knowing from the gut level, Knowing Dhamma in a direct way, not through ideas about it or personal uh, definitions or views about Dhamma, 